It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to another edition of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast based on the 27 rules for influencers and leaders. You know the book. Hardcover, softcover, paperback, as we always say, like the Beatles wrote. And we already made it to 32, which, as you know, is one of the legendary numbers in all the sports. So who's your favorite 32? My fa- Oh, that's hard to say. A lot of favorites. A lot of fa- 32 is just, when I, when I hear the number 32... I think about a, a double murderer who walks amongst us in the form of O.J. Simpson, <laughs> just as a childhood. Oh, is like, that who he is? <laughs> that's, that's who he is. I just got back from Las Vegas literally yes, eight hours ago, yes, and uh, I was at the Cosmopolitan, and they're telling me stories about why he got thrown out of there. He's banned from that property no kidding. because he threw a glass. And you'd think that if you got away with, I don't know, murdering two innocent people, you might not be throwing glasses in public since you're not dead from the electrocution of what you should have received. Some, Ke- yeah, something's not making sense. Meanwhile, this is not a political show. No, no. not at all. But it is 32, this which 32. I'm super excited. You know, yeah. It's kind of nice that uh, we've we've cra- crossed that bridge. Yeah, already into a, a fourth decade, if you will, yes, of the sir. Confessions podcast. And, and uh, there's irony here, and there's symmetry as well, because while we are on 32 of your podcast, your guest today was the first time you ever guested on it, a podcast. Indeed. And in sharing uh, the story or the journey from then to now, he's you know said to me how I was as a guest. And he said, you know, the first time you're a guest, the first time you have your own, obviously I've grown up a little bit. He, so he, gave, you nice. the, he gave you the old, uh, the the Virginia, he gave you the old Virginia Slims uh, cigarette ad campaign you've model. You've come a long you've way, come along, You've come a long way, baby. baby. Unbelievable. That's how we would market cigarettes to women in the 70s. You come a long way, baby. Unbelievable. That was how it worked. Internationally recognized leadership expert and friend of yours, Chris Saballero. Welcome to the podcast. I got to tell you, anytime that you're down in Florida, you have to come visit the cereal salesman, and I'm just happy to be here. Come see the man himself. That's right, Absolutely. the man. Steve I kissed Newberg. the ring. Oh, <laughs> yeah. playing respects That's to the right. godfather. There this it is. This is true. So you had uh, Steve on your podcast. I did. You know, when uh, you know you start looking for guests, you know, Steve Noodleberg really had a great presence online. I thought he would be really a great guest. And the first time we connected, you know, we're both from New York. We're both New York Met fans. And we had Sorry a to really hear that. great. <laughs> so maybe this, so maybe this year. My thoughts and prayers are with you both. But we had, a, you know, we had a great connection and we had a great discussion. And then when his book came out, I wanted to have him back on. And we talked about this great reference. And, uh, you know, we developed a little here, bit of a friendship. And here we here. are. And it all comes off a of friendship. It, it all starts on those organic relationships. relationships right. uh, back to your Mets for a moment. Uh, with the exception of 1969 and 86, if you play in a city called Flushing, isn't that generally a bad sign for the <laughs> I, performance of your organization? I you know you, you we got we got to be able to take this. We know. knew we knew when they were like 24 and 25 games Flushing. out of out of first place in the 1970s. It was hard for me to watch, but. 1986 was the miracle year, and I've never went back. My, my grandfather, God rest his soul, my grandfather Ray, uh, the only grandfather that I knew, uh, the other had passed before I was born, he was a Mets fan. And, and I remember asking my mom, like, why is he a Mets fan? And she said, well, you know, honey, he was a developer in New York City in, in the 60s and the 70s. He said the team was bad, she could always get tickets. My grandfather was like, I can't get Yankee tickets, but I can right, get Mets though. tickets, yeah. so I'll go be a fan of theirs. Plus, he rooted for the underdog. That's very accurate. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. So, and so you were getting tickets pretty cheap. I yeah. mean, I remember I was 15 years old going to Shea Stadium, 
And I was buying tickets for six bucks, seven bucks to get in. Yeah. And throw out the first pitch. It's included. <laughs> right. Play, play right field. Joe Torrey right. playing third base. But, but uh, you know, it's what's interesting about that conversation is that you look for places where you have commonality. Correct. And right off the bat, no agenda, no nothing. We share that misery, the misery of, of what it's like to be an up and down Met, yeah. you know, for me, Met Jet fan, you know, yeah. so the, you know, when you are meeting people, one of the key things to building relationships, which is one of the things that Chris mm-hmm. is an expert at, is finding that place where you can build a relationship. As I've mentioned, every episode, commonality, exactly. right? Yeah. The hostage negotiator, totally. as I speak about it almost every episode. He's looking at the guy who's in risk of harming others. And he notices that he's wearing a cowboy's hat, and maybe they have some bridge by which, in commonality, they can begin to forge a relationship, which will then get this hostage taker to no longer commit the acts of which exactly. he's about to. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where you start to talk about those those commonalities. And Misery loves company from the New York Met fan. But one <laughs> of the things that Steve said to me from the very beginning was, you know, I got this guy down in Miami. Well, that's a New York thing is I got this guy. <laughs> I, got, I got a guy. <laughs> exactly. So now, you know, I got a guy down in West Palm Beach who's the serial salesman who can talk to you about some great things. And, you know, that's where the kind of those relationships grow. And, you know, you got to feel good about being able to say, you know, let me put you in touch with Steve. You know, this is a guy that really has the secrets when it comes to selling. And, you know, I don't have that. I'm a leadership expert. I can mm-hmm. talk to you about the science of leadership. I can help you with organizational process improvement. I could help you with your motivation. But I can't sell. And one of the things you need to do is you need to be able to have a network where you can put people in touch with somebody who's an expert who's going to be able to take them from point A to point B and give them what they need to be successful. And that's what's great about a network. When I was a college kid, and it was in the summertime, I worked a couple summers uh, up at Saratoga Springs at uh, the racetrack. Great place, right? great place. Squeezing lemonade by hand, selling beers. And I used to see concerts there. At, yeah. at SPAC, you did. The Performing Arts Center. Yes, right. that's right. So yeah. Saratoga, the famous like dimension. <laughs> I guess. The, uh, Saratoga, uh, the track itself, is kind of like the playground of the rich and famous for the month of August. It is. The Hamptons goes, uh, mid Manhattan goes, Los Angeles goes. So you'd see Eric Clapton. You'd see... Bill Parcells. Always, because yeah. he loves his horses. But I remember squeezing lemonade by hand out there uh, at a low cart. And it was like a buck seventy five. so people would leave me the quarter. And then like <laughs> Nick Zito, the famous horse trainer, would take the corner, like banging on my... Uh, steel counter and here you go kid this for you gee thanks mr zito i'll try not to spin in one place but there was an ad that would play the commercial would play every day between the sixth and seventh races and it would be for the for the racing form for the sheet that you could buy with the gold sheet whatever and it said smart people don't know all the answers they just know where to find them. Wow. And you're talking about you know That's how to lead, quote. you don't know how to sell, but you know the answer because you know who does, exactly. and that would be in the form of Steve Nudelberg. So, so fundamentally, I, I challenge that conversation because people who say they don't sell, they're the ones who don't get caught up in all of the ones who are trying to sell. Like you are not trying to sell anything, mm-hmm. which in and of itself makes you a better salesperson. Yeah. People who are trying ah. to sell... Yeah. It comes across very disingenuous. When you say salesperson to somebody, they instantly go on their guard, think used car salesperson. What are you going to try and jam down my throat? There's a visceral feeling. Yeah. So, you know, that profession, I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, I was going to be a salesperson. Well, my brother was going to be a dentist and it was, you know, oh, well, the dentist is, you know, I believe that everybody's selling something at some point in their life. And so the fact that you're not caught up in trying to sell 
is such a paradigm shift, which is why you're good at it. Yeah. You sold yourself to me because you were friendly, approachable, you had high energy. We, we use these terms. I got to know you. I like you, and I trust and you. I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not more complicated than that. It also costed me $12.75. So I had, $12 to, pay, I had to pay that admission fee for serious salesman. $12.75. <laughs> yeah. You could have, seen, could have seen two Mets games for that. That's right, back in the day. No, the no, day. I'm, no, I mean Thursday and Friday. Oh, okay. <laughs> at, at City Field, I mean like th- well, later this week. You could be a guest of Bobby Bonilla, who just got right. paid. Bobby Bonilla right. again. July 1st. Uh, July 1st. <laughs> July 1st, he gets his 1.1, one whatever that one is. Po- now, that's a good gig what was that it was like till 2030 or something, something like crazy. that yeah, he's, he, he, they'll I mean, wind up spending 40 million dollars on him yeah it's over yeah it's over 32 or 33 million dollars in total because mm. of a deferment of a deal for those that don't know what we're talking about um on the espn app you can get into the 30 for 30s they made a a, a mini they made a, a short right. on it. It's, it's like a seven or eight minute long which is fantastic uh, mini document and explains you the bobby bonilla deal i'm glad you referenced it because i haven't seen you since july 1st that's correct so happy baby bonilla uh, day uh, since i believe it's fascinating it, it is. Uh, the, the, listen, the, is he the happiest guy on the planet? He's got to be. I mean, that's that's really a structured <laughs> deal that I wish we deal. could have. Can we and, get that? Can we get that somewhere? Along in the history of in the history of deals, it is one of the more memorable ones in sports. Well, well because yeah. it was like, hey, we can give you six million now. No, we can't because we're for Will Pond and company. We don't have it. Or was it? Uh, it was like uh, for Will Pond. Doesn't matter. Anyway, there's a deferment saying, hey. How about uh, instead you guys wait 15 years to pay me, and I'll be retired, but then it'll be this amount for this long. Right. Crazy. Every July 1st, it's 1.19 1. something. Like that. Right. We remember the deal more than we remember the player. i got to tell Which you that. crazy. So, yeah. That's, where, that's his claim to fame. But you're right. Words matter, and uh, some of the most successful salespeople are not people trying to sell. Because nobody wants to be sold. I say it every week on here. Nobody wants someone. Goes, excuse me. I'm walking through the uh, the mall in Las Vegas. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Uh, the, your your sneakers. Your uh, I can Nike, clean your sneakers. He wants to clean my sneakers, and I just go, no, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Right. Everyone's trying to sell. Don't get in my space. Right. Right. He, even here, you got to earn the right to exactly. get in my Correct. space. It's the no like and trust right. thing. I mean, you really have to get there. But you know, you said it really well. Every time you hear the word salesman, people think used car salesman. Mm-hmm. And really, that's not what it is. But, you know, from my side, you've really got to be able to put the people who are in the business up against the best that they have. And, you know, Steve's that go-to guy for me. He's my guy. I got this guy in, West, my, Palm guy in West Palm Beach. If, if you call a business trying to get a hold of the decision maker, and I don't care if you're offering them tickets for free to the gala on Saturday, what does the gatekeeper ask you? What is this pertaining to? Exactly. Are you a salesperson? Right. right. Are you a salesperson? Will, will he know what this is in reference mm-hmm. to? Because if you, they ask, are you a salesperson? If you are, you're already cast aside. Exactly. Right? Here at ESPN West Palm, where we do this podcast from, we utilize the studios. Um, these are a team of marketing consultants. Not sales. They're not salespeople. Remember when cars used to be used cars? Now they're certified pre-owned. Right. Because words Man. matter. You're right. You're absolutely right? right. They used to just be milkshakes. Now they're hand spun, artisan crafted. No, it's not jackass. It's a freaking milkshake. Right. Oh, and by the way, if I don't like you, I'm not buying anything anyway. That's What's exactly right. So emotional intelligence uh, is a topic matter for today that apparently Christian knows something about. And certainly, Steve, uh, you understand as well. What does that mean to you, emotional intelligence, and why is that relevant here today, Chris? You know, one of the things, you know, that we think about as leaders is we've got to be able to not only understand our own emotions, but also understand the emotions of the people who are around us. And there's different components of emotional intelligence. You talk about self-awareness, you talk about self-regulation or self-control. 
empathy, so on and so forth. But I think self-awareness is one of the most important components, one of the most important characteristics for a leader. Because if you know conflict resolution, if you know communication, if you know relationship building, but you don't understand why you're reacting to the situations you're reacting to, Mm. you're going to be a failure as a leader. Mm. So when we think about the components of emotional intelligence, you've got to have strong emotional intelligence to be a successful leader and to make sure that you're leading the most important component of your business and that's your workforce. Is everyone cut out to be a leader or should some, I mean, we hear the old thing about too many chiefs, not enough Indians. So so the interesting take for me is that the place where sales and leadership really converge is you should be the leader of your own life. You Mm -hmm. should be the CEO of your own company and that's where your own leadership skills, if you can't lead yourself, how are you going to lead somebody else? Uh So all of this is about training. You may not know how to do it, but you can get better. I can help Chris get better at recognizing how what what situations there are in sales and how to react better. He can do the same thing with me. I was not that great a leader. We talk to, talk about it all the time. I was the guy who had vision and energy. People would follow that. Would follow me into a burning building. Mm-hmm. Once we got in there, I had no idea. You're like every man for like, himself. What the heck's we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we inside of a burning building? But when we think about emotional intelligence, we really have to be able to understand. Because in business, it's all about emotion, isn't it? But if we're not if we're not intelligent about how we're reacting oh, and why we're doing and and knowing that we can't you know blow up at the workforce and point our fingers and but we don't we learn that the hard way in my book Ultimate Leadership Ten Rules for Success Rule Number One Never Allow Your Emotions to Dictate Your Actions. And the reason that I learned that rule was because I allowed my emotions to dictate my actions, and that followed me around for about 10 years like a black cloud, and I couldn't get out from under that. And that was a hard lesson to learn, and but one you have to learn, and your emotional intelligence is one of the most important components of being successful. It is Tuesday, okay? I was at the blackjack table in the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas Sunday night, and the cards were not coming great through this one shoe, and there was a fella, and he had a nice stack of chips and a hot woman on his arm and a fancy watch. And he was a young guy. He's probably in his, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And as the cards got bad and he started, you know, misplaying his hands and he was getting beat, he started increasing his wager. And I said, do you know something? Because he wasn't pressing because he was winning. And he goes, no, I'm just mad at the house. And I thought, boy, so yeah. you're putting, you're going to show him. You're put, yeah, you're going to show him. You're, you're increasing. They love your guys wager. like that. You're increasing your wager because he's doing the opposite of what you speak of, Chris. Yeah. He's allowing his emotions to dictate his actions. And this is business. Make no mistake exactly. about it. Cause his wager went from 500 yeah. to 2000. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you got to think about when you allow your emotions to dictate your actions, it's not just negative. Sometimes from a positive side, we get to be a little bit more too generous than we're supposed to be. That's a negative to allowing your emotions to dictate your actions as well. So it's not just the bad, it's the good as well. Steve, so when when he says emotion is a key part of business, I think emotion is a key part of life. Yeah. And, and so that's where life and business, how you manage yourself, how you manage your thoughts, what your mindset is about. We were talking about the situation in Ferguson, yeah. and you have a specific training, yeah. which is phenomenal, that I, I would love for you to share. So uh, my, my career, I was in the ambulance business. Mm-hmm. And in 2014, a, a white police officer shot an African-American teen named wife Brown, Mike Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, Remember which well. started 19 days of civil unrest. They were my ambulances. They were right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, when we talk about leadership during civil disobedience, there was a lot of lessons. And at that point, I mean, I'm well into my leadership career, but every day it was a failure. It was a mistake. It was a lesson learned. And one of the things that I had to put into perspective was 
this is something that I've never experienced before. And you think about the L.A. riots, no one has really experienced it since then. And then you go back to the Watts riots. So really, we were in ground that was, you know, we were setting precedent. New ground, yeah. And we wanted to be able to make sure that we were able to live our vision, which was to deliver the highest quality of patient care, be leaders in our community, be role models for our career field, and be able to do the job that we wanted to do. But every single day, I fell over myself. My leadership team fell over yourself. But emotional intelligence was very important during that time, and I've got a lot of great lessons from that event. Now, I've said on the air for a very long time, since the late 90s, the people, do not make decisions uh, based on emotion ever. And they say, well, what do you mean? Sometimes getting engaged. I said, well, no, not even that. Am I wrong? Am I wrong that decisions should not be based upon emotion? I tell folks, don't listen to your head because you'll overthink it. Don't listen to your heart. It will mislead you with emotion. Listen to your gut. If you trust the feeling within your gut, it's kept us as human beings alive for millions of years or hundreds of thousands at least. Am I wrong in telling folks that no decision should be based or made upon emotion? You know, I think that sometimes emotions are going to come into your decision. They factor into it. But you have to be able to understand why you're making that decision based on the emotion. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we don't know is, you know, uh, if I told Steve before, I'm just going to push your buttons. If I know that saying, you know, I said he's five foot six, he's like, hey, I'm six foot tall. (laughs) Well, if I know that that's an issue, for why is it an issue for him? And if you understand why, you know, that what you're saying or why this person is giving me, uh, you know, a bad feeling when they come in my office, you're able to manage that. Which is training. So I think it's all about training and learning and understanding. So if you can understand why you're making the the decision based on emotion, I think you're halfway to that. The gut, the the gut feeling, I think, goes on just on you hit on a really, really key point. And this happens in sales, in in the sales, in leadership. People don't trust that. Here's what it is in the sales process. Most of the time. People who are in sales know very early on whether this could be a good relationship or a bad relationship. But what salespeople notoriously do is do not pay attention to the red flags. They zoom right through that. Mm -hmm. And then six months or three three to six months into the engagement, they go, this is the worst client I've ever had. Mm -hmm. You knew that the first day. Yeah, I want to ask you that. So let's go ahead on your experience a little bit, Steve. So now when, when you're a salesperson, it seems like sometimes you compromise yourself for the clients that you're trying to bring in. That's really kind of a bad place. How do you deal with that? The, the top 1% to 5% don't. You know, one of the things in, in my trainings and in my speeches I talk about is self-respect and self-discipline. I don't care how many zeros there are on the table. You can't buy my, my respect. You can't buy my self-respect. I respect myself too much. So I've had that discipline to walk away from the table, even though I don't want to. And that took me years yeah, to, real- to train myself to do that because revenue was always the king. Oh, we're going to get paid for it. Oh, it'll be okay. But what you come to learn is that that took me away yeah. from opportunities I could have been working on. Yeah. I, I, that went by me because I was busy messing around with something I shouldn't have done. So that discipline, and, and when I train, it's all about self-respect, owning it, understanding it, and then the discipline to say, I'm getting a bad feeling here. Sure. I'm going to take a pass. And you never want to compromise your morals, your, your principles. But people do yeah, every right. day that was a good because of the zeros. We're animals, and we live for the most part, unless you know, you're know you in the ocean and the shark gets you, uh, for the most part, we're at the top of the food chain. We have a tendency to overthink things, don't we? We have a tendency to, to think our way out. Of, you get a bad feeling. There's a couple of guys in the elevator. And it's a parking garage, and you get a bad, you get a bad for whatever reason. You have no you idea why. It, right? 
Listen to that voice. That voice will keep you alive, will it not? Pay that's, attention. That's your experience, right. man. That's your experience right. coming into play. It's, awesome. just, it's just it's a projection. You don't know where it comes from. Yeah. But that instinct is going to help you in leadership. It's going to help you in sales. If you don't try and talk. we I think all of us have read Malcolm Gladwell's masterpiece, Blink. Right? Yes, Everyone sir. read Blink. Yeah. He's a great I love his stuff. And what we learned in Blink was that the first two or three seconds of something means more than doing your homework, your research, you can try. If you feel like that statue is a phony, immediately, that turns out it's more valuable than doing all the research, looking into it, checking and finding out. And they said the same thing with the guy that does the marriage couples. He knows in the first three seconds whether or not in five years he'll still be married. And his guess rate's like 90%. More than watching the whole. Totally. He knows immediately. So don't we need to tap into that as leaders and in well, sales when, professionals? You know, I ask people, when does the close happen in a sale? Because there's some guys still out there spouting, here's 101 ways to close and making a lot of money selling that pipe dream. And I think that's complete bullshit. I think the close happens in the first three seconds. I meet you. I get a gut feeling. You say something. Another three to five seconds go, goes by. You can earn the opportunity to have dialogue about my business. But not until I like you. Or if yeah. I don't like you, it's over. And it and, and really, people say, wow, Steve, that's so simple. Guess what? It is. But there's a scarcity mentality that salespeople have that this will be the only opportunity I have. I'm never going to get another one. And this is it. And, you know, I'm a product of all of that. I think the reason why I'm yeah. qualified to train now is that I just paid attention to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I started writing it down going, hey, here's in my journal. You know what? That kind of made me feel like shit, man. I don't yeah, know why, exactly. but, you know. But that's the reflection, your yes. self-awareness. You know, one of the things that we think about is people don't buy services and people don't buy products. They buy people. people. What the, and they buy outcomes Boom. as yeah. well. Oh, they buy outcomes. outcomes. So sure. what we need nice. to do is we need to be able to give the outcome, the solution to what they're trying to look for. And whether that's a leadership thing with our – because our people – I mean, we invite these people into our organizations to help us become successful, and then we stick them in a corner and say, if you need us, raise your hand. <laughs> we need to be able to think about them and their, and their outcomes that they need to have for the job that they're doing. We need to invest. We need to help them grow. We need to help them get to the next level. Then we get a successful organization. What's the true measurement of leadership success? It's how engaged, satisfied, and productive your workforce is. How engaged, satisfied, and productive your workforce is. That's a real takeaway. So Steve says, (laughs) Steve says we're all leaders. We should all be CEOs of our own brand, of our own individual self. And I totally agree with that. But isn't there a time and place, Chris, in which some folks need to realize that, okay, now it's your place to fall in line. There is a chain of this. Your role in this spot, you are not the commander in chief. Yeah. In successful business. And one of the things that you got to think about is, you know, I'm inviting people in who have an expertise. If You know, I used to say for years, tongue in cheek, that if we can get rid of the workforce, our job as leaders would be easy. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not practical. There's nobody to lead but yourself. <laughs> exactly. What we have to be able to do is, is, as we hire these people into our organization, is give them the, you know, the respect to say, I'm hiring you for your expertise. This is your area. I need you to make sure that it's going to run you know, as best as it can run. If you need me, come to me. Otherwise, collect your paycheck and do your job kind of thing. A lot of the ego that goes into being a CEO, you want to be right in the middle of everything and tell me why and how did this happen and how do we make sure it doesn't happen? You know, just give me what the outcome is. Just tell me how we're not going to make this mistake or tell me how we're going to achieve this success or what's the process of developing that engagement of the workforce. You know, but we don't do that as leaders. We think that we have to have our hands in every single pie, and that's when too many chiefs spoil. Is, is, is that a mistake? Isn't it an instance where oftentimes people make that mistake of not being able to delegate properly? Yeah. Where they, they, they just they don't trust others, they're going to handle it themselves? And- so I, I think it's a control issue. I know that for years in my business, 
I felt like delegating was a challenge, you know, because that, that control of me doing it. Sure. And we were talking before about the change in workforce habits now. People don't have to work in an environment. You can work equally as hard in on the outside that mm-hmm. you used to be able to do on the inside, and that's a big paradigm shift for people. No, I want my people here at 8 o'clock. Why? Why, yeah. why should they spend an hour and a half traveling here just to be here when they can be equally as productive? And these are all part of what leaders are being challenged with today. How do I get the most out of my team? How do I manage them properly in a way that I can you know, function I don't have to deal with that anymore, thankfully. But And you go to the point of, you know, going back to your question about delegation is, what's the mission? What's the vision? What are you trying to accomplish? A lot of times that's lost. I mean, if I ask you to think about your car, you actually see a picture of your car. You don't see the letters C-A-R. In the absence of a vision of where we're going, people are going to be lost. And I read a good book one time that said, where there is no vision, the people will perish. One of the things that you got to think about is give them the vision, give them their responsibility into reaching the vision, and get out of their way. And get out of the way. Let them make mistakes. Let them fail. Let them learn from their success, you know their failures. Let, reflect on what those failures will. Let them grow, and then watch what happens to the organization, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to find that you're doing. You successful know, it's really interesting uh, today. You know, obviously, it was a great day for that rescue of the soccer team with yeah. the soccer coach. Yes. Right, right. And somebody on a coaching call, one of my clients this morning, asked me how I would relate what happened, mm. how that Navy SEAL team right. reacted and did whatever. And there was a book, you talk about you know great books, written by Jocko Willenick that's called Extreme Ownership. And that type of mindset to train your team to own every outcome yeah. is phenomenal. And that team did it. They were, what an amazing, I mean, we witnessed something that was incredible. And that's what builds that engagement. Right. Once you have that engagement, they're going to be satisfied and they're going to want to do the best job that they can. How can you ask for more? Relationship building. Obviously, Steve, this is the core foundation of not just the book and not just your teaching and coaching, um, but really how you live your life. So relationship building, uh, please, uh, from your perspective, I know it means everything, but how do people get more better? Excuse me, more better. How do people get better? <laughs> more better. How do people get more better? More better blues. You, you, you do uh, directed get more by Spike Lee. How do people get better at building relationships? Because some folks are very good in areas thereof, but they're lacking in others. And this is the core foundation of all success in sales and business. So particularly for me, it was all about being genuinely curious. <laughs> I am genuinely curious about how other people operate how they do, what they do, where they did it. So the question part of it for me always starts with, what's your story? What, yeah. you know, tell me your story. Mm-hmm. And I find that legitimately fascinating. Right. Like, wow, you had all this opportunity in your life and you wound up in St. Louis. And I, I take all that in as an opportunity to listen, learn, create my aha moments. And if you do that all day long, you make other people feel good. Like, wow, you wanted to hear my story? There isn't one person I have ever, ever met that doesn't have a story and that isn't willing to share it with you. So that's at the core level. It's the curiosity part of it that I think has made me a great salesperson. You know, we we think about the the people that we come in contact with. I mean, when I was in EMS, you know, I I, uh, got to run calls on people who were in the Great Depression and who were in World War II, you know, and who saw things that you read about in, in, you know, in books. And that really kind of gave me my... I don't know, I guess my break into learning who people were. But we don't do this well enough. 
What we do is we label people. What we do is we pass judgment on people. Mm-hmm. What we do is is we, we say that they don't think like we do. They're, they're Republicans when we're Democrats or they're liberals when we're, you know, we don't look at people and ask them, so why do you believe the things that you believe and respect why they believe the things that they do and not, not you know, look down on them for the things that they do and really kind of learn their feelings and say, okay, it's nice to know you. I may not think the same thing that you do, Steve, but... We're friends, and I'm God happy bless, to, right? you know what I mean? Chris, you are internationally recognized and appreciated leadership expert, and your guest today on Steve's podcast is he was a guest on yours first time around. So I'm going to ask you a quick always and a quick never. I know we don't generally speak in those terms because we prove ourselves that those are not terms that generally are always and never. A successful leader should always what? A good leader should always what? Should always never, should always be respectful of the people who they're leading. Without them, if you can't influence those people, you're not a leader. You're just some guy out there taking a walk. There's that big famous quote. So always take the people that you are leading with, um, that they're the most important components of your business. And then never, if we go to a never, never take yourself too seriously. Really? You know, don't ever think about your ego. It's not about who you are. We all have positions in the organization. I happen to be the CEO. You happen to be the COO. You happen to be the production worker. My job isn't more important than your job is. Mm. If I didn't need you here, you wouldn't be here. They're just as important as you are. Don't take yourself too serious. Well, well said. Is it more important to focus on what people do well? Or is it more important to focus on what they don't do well and then try and improve that? I think one of the strengths fa- or weaknesses. Yeah, I think the failures that we have is we, we're into this whole discipline, correct, of the action process, and we don't do enough coaching. Name the one thing that you ever did mm-hmm. that you did successfully the first time. I mean, that's how we grow. Experience comes from mistakes. Mistakes come from lack of experience. What we have to do is we have to make the mistakes. We have to learn from the mistakes. We have to make sure that we're growing from those mistakes. So true. But we have to we have to give the gift of that to our organization. Otherwise, we're just stifling their creativity. Like I always say, we learn more from the things we do wrong than we learn from the things we do right. Yeah, I, I say to salespeople, you know, when now this social media craze and all this stuff on LinkedIn, I said, listen, you you ride a bike? Yeah. I go, the first time you rode the bike, how'd you do? Oh, I fell and I skinned my knees. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Most of the things you do in your life, you're going to fall and skin your knees until one day you're riding with no handlebars. and you Internationally recognized, appreciated leadership expert, Chris Sabalero. Thank you uh, for coming on with us today. Oh, this was a good one. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime we're in Florida, we're coming down to see you guys. (laughs) Because you got a guy. I got a guy. You got a guy. Spring training. training. Come back. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Spring training. You can see the Mets uh, play. Right. (laughs) Right. As opposed to in flushing. I'm just saying that there's something to that. Listen, yeah, I get Seth, it. Seth you, you need a hug. Can we give him a hug after the show? <laughs> Seth, a hug. I was a Mets You're fan a New for, York guy. for a very right. long time. I was a Mets fan because of my grandfather. But, you know, Seth Myers hosted the ESPYs, and he said, um, you know, Cleveland, it, you know, you're so upset and shocked that LeBron left. He goes, the word leave is in the name of your town. Wow. It's, see, leave. <laughs> right? Flushing. What do you do? That's right. Flushing. You know what? I have not even seen a meme thought, like that. You never That's thought fantastic. of that? You never noticed that? Yeah, leave. It's in the name of your town. <laughs> Flushing, there's only one thing we, we flush, really, and you know. You heard it here not first. Good. And the Metro, they shouldn't change the name of that town. Call good. it, call it Strawberryville. But right name now, until, until they win another World Series, it's Kansas City Field. So, yeah. just remember that. Yeah. yeah, there's that too. All right, Steve, we don't tell people, uh, you know, we don't ask them rather how they're doing or uh, what's good. Uh, instead, we say, tell me something good. Cause you generally, as we talk about building relationships, that's one of those aspects. Tell me something good allows you to do that. So for this, adult, uh, as we wrap up number 32, this edition, 
Why don't you tell us something good, my man? So I am really proud. I leave for New York tomorrow, okay. and I'm part of a project called Standing O. A friend of mine, Scott McGregor, put together this program where he had 52 uh, sports personalities, uh, entrepreneurs, business people, all write a chapter on who they would give a Standing O to. Wow. I am one of the guest authors. Wow. I wrote a chapter. Wow. The uh, kickoff party is tomorrow night. Uh, it's Thursday night in New York at the Guggenheim Museum. Uh-huh. And all the proceeds, every single dime from this thing, go to charity. So a shout out to my friend Scott McGregor from a company called Something New. He's an awesome entrepreneur. Did something really cool. I'm super proud to be part of it. Uh, Brandon Steiner wrote in the book Tiki Barber. Uh, Dick Vermeil wrote the... Uh, the, the oh, forward. So we'll have some great people around. We'll be doing some, you know, mixing and that's mingling. Really good. And then all of us, the 52 authors, are responsible for spreading it to our networks and having people buy this book. And Brilliant marketing. All of it. It's unreal. Brilliant it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know, I was available Thursday to go to a party. I don't know. So come to New York. <laughs> I I'll, I'll send was, the jet. I'll, I'll send the jet. You can go to Flushing. <laughs> send the jet. I'll go to. I'll, I'll, we'll land in LaGuardia. The Mets I'll are see, home. The Mets are home. I'll see, I'll see Flushing. We'll get those $6 tickets. We'll go see the Mets lose a game. I mean, play a game. You know what I meant to say. Uh, you so I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yes. Well, you should be. You want to go for a Larry Bird 33? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Let's give that a shot. We keep topping it each week. Today was uh, okay. I'm fully in. Our Love thanks it. again to Chris Abelero for being our guest and Steve for doing this. Uh, I tell you what, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna we're gonna give him another one. Okay. And make sure to check out his podcast. Oh, y- your podcast. Where do we find your podcast? The Ultimate Leadership Podcast. Come and become a fan. We're going to get Steve back on and do some great leadership topics Fantastic. With, uh, across the network. For, for Steve Nittleberg, Josh Cohen saying thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the podcast.